listening to the CIPD podcast series. Welcome to the CIPD podcast, and today I'm joined by Jackie Orme, the CIPD's new chief executive, who joined the Institute in March this year. Now, in last month's podcast, we put out a call inviting you to send us your questions for Jackie. And I must say, we had a huge response. So we have sifted through and we've chosen the most frequently appearing questions to put to her. We've also got a couple of questioners on the line so that they can talk to Jackie direct. Now, we'll come to that in a moment. But I'd like to kick off, Jackie, by asking you what is a very straightforward question. And that is, what appealed to you about this job? Why did you apply for it? It really stood out for me. The first time I saw it was actually in the Sunday Times. I was sitting on the sofa reading it. And I said to my husband straight away, wow, what a really interesting job. And then I put it down. I didn't think about it again. And the next day, I had a call about it. And at that point in time, I was asked, are you interested? My immediate answer was, yes, I am. And people will know you get calls all the time from headhunters looking for you. This one was instant for me. And it was very simple. I felt it's one of those very unusual legacy jobs. You could go and do something and really leave a legacy. And in this instance, the legacy was for the HR profession. It's a profession I've been in for 17 years. So, Well, as you say, you've been in a profession a long time, but this is a big change because your career has been largely corporate, hasn't it? Huge change. Well, it's been a mix, actually. It depends how far you want to go back. So it's true. For the last 12 years, I've worked with a huge corporation in PepsiCo, and that's been a fantastic experience. Before that, I spent five years in the steel industry, which was, again, HR experience, but very, very different and a very, very different time, very different environment. And before that, I spent reasonably brief periods of time. I spent some time in the Department of Employment and then some time actually working for another institute, for the Institute of Chartered Accountants. Okay, so your experience is broad. Yes, it's very broad. So you've been with the CIPD for about six months now. Not quite, yes. Nearly. Yes, 100 working days. I keep adding them up, yeah. (laughs) Is it what you expected? It's exactly what I expected, and but probably just faster and fuller. So, you know, one of the things that I've had to get to, to learn very quickly is the full range of what the CIPD does. It's really hard to appreciate just how much it does from the outside. On the inside, you see how many different ways it impacts the profession that it supports. And I've been amazed at times, actually, by just the full range of what it does. Well, let's, let's move on to some of the questions from your members. And, and the first one I've got comes from Dominic McGowan in Northern Ireland. Now, Dominic has been in HR for 12 years, but I think like a lot of other people, he's become very disillusioned with constantly having to battle to show that what he does, what HR does, makes a real difference to the corporate bottom line. And what he wants to ask you is whether you can give him some pointers for measurables that he can use to convince the non-believers that HR does indeed make a positive contribution. Yeah, let me talk about how I've always looked at this, because I understand exactly the question that he's asking. There's two things I would say. The first one actually isn't about measurables at all. It's about personal credibility. So one of the things that you absolutely need, and it's true of all professions, and it's true in this profession, is strong personal credibility. And if you have that, it's amazing what you can get done. And it's amazing how infrequently you have to answer those constant questions about measurement. And if I say, you know, what do I think really matters for personal credibility, I think I'd say three things. The first one is absolute integrity. you can't be in HR and not be known for your integrity, your personal integrity. The second one I would say is just knowing your stuff. You have to be excellent at all the disciplines in HR or the one that you're working in for sure. And the last one is just a bias for action. You need to know how to get stuff done. So if you're, you know, personal credibility, I think opens a huge amount of doors. And I think we probably don't talk enough about it when we start to talk about the importance of measurement. If I then go and talk more 
specifically about that question about what, what do we need to measure, I think what you need to measure is what's most important to the people that you're working for at the time. So if I look back on my career, started in the steel industry, it was incredibly important to know how many grievances and disciplinaries did we have. It was all about the labour relations climate of the day. Now, if I roll forward maybe a decade, and actually one of the most important measures for me was vacancy fill. How long was it taking us to get people into um, into their jobs? And that was because what really mattered to people I was working with, it was an environment of very fast growth. If I go back a couple of years, I would say that probably the single most important measure that I was constantly looking at was what's the kind of talent pipeline that we've got coming into the business? So if I take the top 10 jobs and I say, who have I got who's ready today to do that job? Who have I got who's ready in two years? Who have I got that's ready in five years? Now, those measures are very, very different. But what united them was they were the single most important thing and concern for the organisation or the business I was working in at the time. And I think figuring that out and focusing down on that is what you should do. So no generic answer to that question. And I don't think it's about having a generic scorecard of 51 different measures. Personal credibility and knowing what's most important at the time and being able to drive hard after that, I think, gets you a long way. Let's move on to our first caller. He's on the line now and his name is Elton Heenew. Elton, I know you're an organisational development consultant with the Prudential. What's yeah. the question you wanted to put to Jackie? Um, it's really on the subject of HR's contribution to business performance. OK. And I'd, I'd love to hear um, Jackie's views on um, what she thinks in terms of how do you see HR adapting to the ever-increasing pace of change in today's competitive business environment? And also, how do you see the CIPD leading HR professionals to develop the profession to really drive businesses, not just to survive, but also prosper in this environment? Okay. Hello, Elton. Two questions. I think think you sneaked two questions there in in, in one, but uh, let me try and separate them so I can answer them both, I think, fully. So the first one was about how does the HR profession need to continue to adapt in what's a very fast-changing environment. And I think the first way I'd answer is I'd reflect back on history and look at some of the history and say, I think that's what we'll continue to do in the future. How long have you been in HR, Elton? Um, Coming on eight years now. Okay, okay. So if I look back over my 17 years, I would say the HR profession has adapted hugely. Mm. And, you know, I'd say I've seen it move from being um, a profession that's very largely focused on employee relations, making sure that businesses weren't slowed down and weren't disrupted by relationships with unions, I've seen it move dramatically into a profession now that spends probably disproportionately more of its time looking at where do we find the very best people, the very best talent? How do we find it? How do we bring it in? And how do we grow it? And you know, in your job, I suspect you'll probably see quite a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, th- you know, there's a reason for that, that massive shift. It's because the context that HR professionals are operating in has changed significantly. What, what's wanted to them, from them from organisation leaders has shifted and has changed. And they've adapted um, really significantly, built new skills, built new expertise and learn how to drive agendas in completely different ways. Nobody ever talked about employer branding when I first started in HR. They may not have done it when you first started, but how often do you hear it talked about now? So I think it's a profession that's been hugely successful at being adaptive. So I would say if I look to the past, I'd have huge confidence for the future about our ability to keep adapting. To the second point you raised about the CIPD and how is it going to help people thrive, particularly in today's economy, you know, one of the things that... I really admire about the CIPD is its capacity to reach large numbers of people in very different ways. So if you look at the usage of our website, over 90% of our members 
use our website. If you look at our communities, we have communities on our website which I think have about... I might get the wrong number slightly wrong here. It's between 20 and 40,000. That's rather a wide band. But it's a huge number of people who engage in our communities yeah. and are having an ongoing debate. When you look at the amount of research that we publish and disseminate in a whole range of different ways, whether it's through conferences, we have the ability to get best practice out and to touch people with it. And I think that builds capability and it drives topicality on issues. And that's one of the key roles, I think, for the CIPD as we go forward. What's your feeling about this, Elton? Do you feel you're getting enough support from the CIPD in that respect? Yes, I mean, I think over the years, particularly as I've seen, um, um, adapting to the business changes really meant HR becoming more and more strategic. And that's really stretched every, um, all of us in, in, in the profession and in my experience. So that's a key priority for me. Yeah, as you say, it's, it's a key point. But thank you very much for the call, Elton. You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Staying with CIPD Matters, we've had a couple of questions about the membership structure. Uh, one member described it as Byzantine and uh, wanted to know what you're going to do to simplify things. We had other questions from experienced HR professionals who'd never got round to upgrading to chartered membership. They want to know how you plan to help them move into the chartered grades. Well, I'm a huge fan of simplicity. I'll say that first of all, a huge fan of simplicity. And if I look specifically at the membership structure, I think... Our membership structure needs to do three things. It needs to set really high standards for the profession that we are. It needs to meet the needs and be relevant to people at the different stages of their career. And I think the third thing it needs to do is it needs to reflect the way that people move in and out of the profession. So the kind of the career ladder, the career structure that people are following. And we're well aware of the fact that that particularly those last two things have been changing a lot over the last few years. So we are very far into a piece of work that's that's looking at exactly those things. What are the career structures in the past? What are the things that members want at different levels? And how do we make sure we've got a membership structure that exactly reflects the needs of our of the profession. Would you agree it is over-complex as it stands now? I think it is complicated. I think it is complicated and I think it's evolved and it's like many things that evolved. So I don't know if I'd say it's over-complicated but it is, it is pretty complicated to look at. Um, but, I, you know, like I say, the, the critical thing for us is to make sure that it's relevant to the needs of people today at the different stages of their careers and that's what we're looking at. That's the starting point we've taken. Mm, and what we'll do is to make sure the membership structure absolutely ties in with that. What about the issue of members wanting to upgrade to chartered yeah, grades? Yeah. Absolutely. And again, I go back to that comment I made about people coming into the profession in different ways now. So it's really important. Historically, the majority of people have come into the profession at a junior level and worked through. And the majority of people are coming through the qualification route. And that's worked. But that's changing. People are what we call zigzagging in and out of the profession. And absolutely, we need to make sure that we can capture those people and they can join us at later stages of their career, coming in with different backgrounds. And we're trialling, have been piloting, over, actually over the last couple of years and continue, continue to pilot this year, a range of different routes that bring people in without having to look at the formal study and qualification that has been the traditional main routine. The role and recognition of the CIPD globally was also the subject of many questions, which which loosely links, I think, to what you've just been saying. Some people wanted to know what the CIPD is doing to extend its global reach and secure international recognition for CIPD members. Others uh, wanted to know whether there are any plans to create parity agreements or introduce a a globally recognised brand. So, you know, keeping that international focus in mind how do you plan to respond to this increasingly globalized world that members are operating in it is an increasingly globalized world for sure and i think one of the big 
things about HR in the future, it's going to be increasingly borderless. So how are we responding? It's interesting. Our qualifications, our certificates and our professional study is already really taken in 17 different markets, 17 different countries. We provide training, short course training in over 25 different markets. So there are facts and figures which I guess aren't particularly well known. There's no reason why they should be. So we're starting to build an international presence. If we were sitting here in two years' time and you were asking me the same question, I would pretty confidently say to you, I expect that number to have more than doubled, more than doubled. Okay. Because we're very serious about understanding how and, and what we need to do to build a really strong international presence. We need to make sure there's enough access to it for people. That's the point, isn't it? Because yes. it's all very well saying Absolutely. that, but it has to Absolutely. be there. And the question of parity abroad and people moving in and out of different countries. Absolutely. The organisation is only as relevant as yep. the qualification yes. is, is accepted, yep. isn't yes. it? Absolutely it is. And so building that knowledge and experience of it, because it is a fantastic qualification we have, taking that and, again, making it relevant to different markets, I think is the way ahead. And we're starting to do quite a lot of work in the Gulf, quite a lot of work in um, in Eastern Europe, in both those markets, we'll continue to do that. The, the thing is, the world is so big, you've got to pick the places that you start. Yes, I take the point. You can't tackle the whole thing in one go. No. Now, we have talked about various professional issues, but of course, as Chief Executive of the CIPD, you're also running a commercial business, offering a really a very wide range of products and services. We have had a variety of queries about the pricing of some of the courses and conferences, and you, you alluded to some of those just now. Some members, particularly those from smaller organisations, want to know how you would feel about tailoring prices to fit their budgets. Yeah, I'd, I'd answer the question in two ways, actually. The, the first thing I'd say is we are unapologetically high quality, and we, we sit very much at the very high quality end of the market. And you I have think to be affordable, don't you? That. Absolutely, you have to be affordable. And so one of the things that you will see if you look at the range of products that we have is there's a huge diversity of products on offer. And that's very deliberately aimed to meet the different means and pockets of the different people who are engaged and involved in us. One of the things I first heard a lot of times when I joined the CIPD were the words broad church. And we are a broad church for sure. So we deliberately look to try and pitch products which are going to appeal to different people, different groups, but we'll always go for a high-quality product, always. So you don't feel there's a place for actually charging different-sized organisations at different rates? No, I think the answer is to provide a range of different products that can, you know, often around the same subject area so that people can basically pick and choose and say, actually, this is a product that we want, we can, t- we can take it and we can use it. You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Let's look at the future now, because we've had a question from Shirley Dockrell, who's a learning and development professional. She is interested in your strategic vision for human resources development over the next 10 years, and she'd like to know where you personally see things going. I think talent is going to be an enduring issue. And by talent, what I mean is the supply of great people into organisations. I don't think that's going to go. I think it's going to continue to dominate. I think that's going to, it's not going to go away. It's going to be a big focus going forward. We've talked about the globalisation, the HR um, industry is increasingly global. And I talk consistently to people about borderless HR because that's what it is. And linked to that, I think that um, employees, employee base are going to get much more diverse. When you look at migrant labour, you just look at the full range of issues that are going to drive the the makeup of our workforce, it's going to be increasingly diverse. So the world of HR is going to keep on changing for sure. If I look at the role of the CIPD within that, I think there's three things we have to do. We have to shape the future of the profession in terms of how the profession works and how it makes sure it's most successful. We have to build the capability that's needed in the profession. And then we have to attract the very best people into it because I think it's that important for businesses to have great HR people. Since we've been talking about the future, let's just touch on the degree of influence wielded by the CIPD. 
I mean, obviously, as we've said, it's a big membership organisation. I think it's about 130,000 members now, isn't it? Yeah. They're clearly all keen to have their voices heard by policymakers. For that to happen, CIPD needs the ear of government. It needs a seat at the table when policy is being discussed. How are you going to make sure that continues to happen? Well, there's been a huge amount of work done over the last probably about 18 months, and I think it's it's continuing that good work. If you look at the engagement of our research and policy team in with the government, so they're in with different ministers, with different key um, civil servants all the time. I mean, they actually produce a list on a monthly basis of key meetings they've had. And after my first couple of months here, I said, don't give it to me anymore because it's too long. <laughs> That's good too to long, yeah. So, so I know you guys are out there meeting people and talking all the time. We've been in the position, I was in the position early on when I was called by a government minister one evening because of some... Um, legislation that was coming out the next day they wanted to get our point of view that's going on all the time we're very clear about what are the big issues we think in the workplace that we want to get engaged in and what are the issues that we want our voice to be heard on we're getting towards the end of our time now but before we finish um, zoe rockle has a nice question she wants to know what your biggest bugbear about the hr profession is but before you give me your answer the sting in the tail is that she also wants to know how you plan to fix it <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I think I I don't think I have bugbears actually. So it's a bit of a strong word. I don't have any bugbears. There's two things that I would really like HR professionals to do. Two things that I think are important for the kind of role we want to play. Two simple things. The first one is around language, actually, and it's just speaking everyday language, not getting too wrapped up in our in our own jargon, which we're all capable of doing at times, but taking it out, speaking everyday language. The second one is just be confident. Be confident about it, what it is you bring and the contribution that you make. Be confident enough sometimes to be a great business partner, but also sometimes to lead the business and to say, do you know what, we're going the wrong way, what we need to do is this. So I'm in the camp of partnership and leadership from HR people. So they're not bugbears, but I think they're two things. Let's keep the language simple, let's not be afraid to lead. Finally, we have just got time to talk to Kate Wilding. She's a tutor at the CIPD Certificate in Personal Practice at Riverside College in Cheshire. Kate, what did you want to ask Jackie? Hi, Jackie. It's Kate here. Um, Jackie, I've got a new cohort of students starting in September, and I wanted to know if you had a message for them in terms of, you know, a new group embarking upon their HR career and their first sort of education in HR. Hi, Kate. Yeah, Hi. absolutely. So let me, let me say a couple of things. Again, the first one is... It's a fantastic profession you've joined. So I've been in it 17 years. I think I should, I've probably earned the right to kind of make that comment. And I've never been tempted anywhere along that 17 years to go and do something different. And that's about a couple of things, I think. One is there is massive variety in HR. So you can be somebody who loves learning and development, or you can be somebody that loves numbers and gets into the reward area. You can be somebody that wants the creativity of working in some of the organisational development space, or you can be somebody that actually likes working in a factory and the day-to-day contact with hundreds or or thousands of people. There is space for all, and actually the very best thing is to do some of all because you'll you'll just develop yourself hugely. So that the variety, I think, in HR is fantastic, and I've loved it. The other thing I've loved about it, for me personally, is the opportunity to make organisations better than they were and to give individuals the chance to also be bigger and better than they were. That's a fantastic combination, and I found it hugely motivating. So I would say to them, welcome to a great profession. Yeah. And then the last thing I'd say is be really, really clear. 
about your reasons for joining. So I'm not an advocate for people saying, oh, I'm joining HR because I like working with people. The function is about driving excellence, building capability, making organisations exceptional and making individuals exceptional. Be really clear about your reasons for coming in. Don't come in with soft answers. Yeah, that's great. I mean, my students will start in a few weeks' time and I'm hoping to play this, uh, this podcast to them. Um, on their first evening with me, you know, as, as the new group. So that's that's great. Thank you. Well, I know what they're going through. I was there about yeah, 15, yeah, 16 years ago. <laughs> so wish them all the very best of luck. That's great. Thank you, Jackie. Bye. Kate, thanks very much for that. And Jackie, many thanks indeed for joining us today. And thanks too to all our questioners and callers for raising what I think has been a really interesting range of issues. Next month, we'll be reporting from the CIPD's annual conference and exhibition in Harrogate. This is the biggest HR conference of the year, and I'll be talking to some of the biggest names in the business and bringing you the very latest in learning, news and views. Don't miss it. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series.